You're listening to Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib, and this is yours truly, Momak Shakib. In this episode of the podcast, I am interviewing Dr. Johnny Sai of Irvine, Orange County, California, who is a primary care physician belonging to Direct Primary Care Group of Physicians, which is a membership practice. You'll learn what that's all about, why this is super exciting for our society, and why this is an absolute great, great news for all of us because these physicians share with you why they don't like being a part of insurance industry physicians who are so quick at making recommendations with medication and not really making a difference in the well-being of their patients. Dr. Johnny Sai can be reached at portola.care. His practice is in Irvine and there are plenty of other direct primary care physicians out there that you can look up and choose from. I explore all the different questions that I, as an individual not knowing about direct primary care, would have. And I hope those of you who are listening to this show will explore this, share the episode with other people, and really be a participant to this movement. Thank you for listening. Once again, remember to shoot me an email, DRS, kind of like doctors, drspodcastshow at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. And with no further hesitation, let's listen to the podcast. All right. Here with me is Dr. Johnny Tsai, who is a medical doctor right here in Irvine, Orange County, California. And um, Dr. Johnny Tsai, please tell us about yourself, your background, and we'll jump in and talk about the wonderful thing that you're doing with a shift in uh, the way you practice. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be uh, participating in your podcast and uh, kind of share a little bit of knowledge um, to you know people in the local area. Um, so I am a family doctor. I uh, went to school at NYU, came back to Southern California to do my training um, in residency, and uh, my practice, um, direct, uh, Portola Direct Primary Care, is located in Irvine, California. Great. And how long have you been in practice? Uh, locally here in this practice, about a little bit over two years. Wonderful, wonderful. So tell us, what is direct primary care? Well, direct primary care is kind of a movement that's kind of going across the nation, actually. There's probably over two to 3,000 clinics um, around the country. And it really was um, in response to what I think everybody has been experiencing. is really kind of how um, the quality of our healthcare experience has really kind of gone down. Um, so direct primary care, as kind of the name implies, it's really about um, a direct relationship between doctor and patient and trying to recreate um, a model where we can kind of allow that without kind of all the distractions of, you know, middle middlemen or third-party payers and stuff like that. So ju- in other words, uh, um, just like 
most of us know, the business of sick care, which we call health care, has gotten under um, out of control. And more than anything, it's become a business than attending right. the sick. Right. And, and with, the, with the idea of actually getting them well. Right. <laughs> So how long after practice did you make that realization or was that in residency that you realized something was just in conflicts to what you were thinking you were going to be practicing? Well, I think, you know, when we, when we train, we really train in understanding disease. Um, what we don't really train in um, is understanding how important um, lifestyle factors go towards, you know, preventing disease. Um, yeah. So this is something that I kind of, um, you know, as I kind of got out and practiced and, um, uh, you know, I had to get more education myself. Um, not too far uh, short after residency, I um, trained in acupuncture and Chinese traditional medicine. So that gave me a bit more of a holistic kind of integrative um, perspective on health. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so proud of you, um, honestly, because I think that um, being um, indoctrinated a certain way and realizing, you know, this is in conflict with what I think I should be doing. I think it takes uh, guts and it takes, takes uh, you're a very, very strong person for, for doing that. For someone like myself, you know, that is from the very beginning, I knew I was in the alternative to medicine uh -huh. realm, but for you, you were in the medicine realm and you've decided um, to look into prevention more than anything else. Did you find it challenging to think and actually understand what it takes to prevent because all your training was so disease-based? Uh, well, so to go back a little bit more, my experience in, in undergraduate, I studied public health, and I actually got a master's in public health before going into medicine. I so see. my kind of purview of uh, health and wellness and medicine is really much broader than most doctors that tend to train, where they come more from a science background. I come uh -huh. more from a social sciences type of background. So for me, I always understood that there are these roots of health that um, are important, um, and, um, you know, the, 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 the difficulty comes is really a medical training is really about a very narrow window of health. And it's really kind of the last stages of health when dealing with disease and managing disease. I see. I see. So um, um, how hard was it to make the shift? Um, you know, it's, it's always been, I, I think I, I would be, you know, would consider kind of the, the, the odd person out in the medical school. I always had a different kind of view. I, I trained on the East Coast, and um, they tend to be more, you know, traditional in thinking and, you know, more um, uh, a more research-oriented and whatnot. And I, I was always um, into more uh, trying to understand about uh, people, their stories, their families. Um, and, and that's kind of why I went to family medicine. Um, out of my class of 150 um, students, there were only three or four of us that went into family medicine. The, the bulk of the other students went into, you know, internal medicine and their subspecialties or into surgery or, you know, all these other specialty type of cares where I tended to, you know, be, be one of the few that actually went into primary care. I see. I see. So um, you said something that I want to explore on a little bit. And you said uh, back east, it's very research based. Mm -hmm. I just want to I just want to clarify 
after you identify what you mean by that, because I'm sure neither one of us is anti-research. It's just that there are certain aspects of health that can never, this is my opinion, that can never be proven by research because right. research is based on double-blind study and the right. studies and, frankly, how we think impacts our health and right. our behavior, which, therefore, is very – it's impossible to double-blind because we can't, we can't duplicate that. Is that what you were referring to? Not that I'm giving you any clues. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, definitely, a more traditional, you know uh, – uh, Western-based medicine really uses kind of the the, the double-blinded, randomized control type of studies to 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 to, to figure out what "quote unquote" is the truth. But um, what I uh, um, kind of trained more when, especially when I was in doing my master's in public health, is really about more about a qualitative data. So that yes. means really what patients report or people report or what's important for them, you know personally, socially, culturally, religious-wise, that can impact health. And that's another way of kind of getting to a different type of truth, and everybody is really kind of different. And so that really kind of goes into what I do now in my practice, is really um, practicing a very personalized type of medicine where we take into account all those factors as much as possible to, to move a person from, you know, a, a, um, a non-optimal health state to hopefully a more optimal health one. Absolutely. You know, one of my uh, friends uh, who is also a a family uh, physician who is in direct primary care set up said to me once that it's hard to connect and actually see what's going on with patients when you only have eight minutes to spend. And of course, uh, we both know, and this is for people who are listening to this podcast, how much paperwork goes just to cover our end and to mm-hmm. satisfy the insurance companies, and not because insurance companies are in the well-being of the patients as much as them making sure that, heavens forbid, they're not paying any more than they need to for, geez, anything that is beyond pain and more into adding quality of life to the to the individual's <laughs> life, which is uh, um, the reality of insurance industry. Um, right. how, what is your average office visit with your patients now that you don't worry about direct primary, I mean, insurance companies? So let me go a little bit back and just kind of explain about what direct primary care is. It's a, it's a member-based model um, that um, we don't bill insurance. Patients come into my practice, join my practice like they would a gym membership or Netflix. They pay a monthly membership fee, and that covers unlimited visits. They can also reach me after hours, send me a quick text for questions and stuff like that, so they don't always have to come into the office. The reason is because I have no incentive to get them into the office unless they need to be there. I don't get paid more. Um, what I get paid more what I get paid by is really my patients and the best the the better I can do in terms of taking care of them the more likely they're going to stay in my practice and that's what you know is the financial incentive for me so that means I'm really working for my patients and uh, the other thing is that studies show that the better paying the insurance company is 
because it's just part of what they have. It's, uh, you right. know, um, that's, that's a reality. So we're really going back to the basics, which right. is, uh, you know, attending to prevention more than anything else. So these memberships, are these individual-based, couple-based, family-based? How does that work? Uh, as a family physician, my preference is to really to work with families because then I can really see the family dynamic and kind right. of help them, you know, kind of get in there and to kind of change things as a family as much as possible. But I, um, you know, my uh, my practice is set up so that's very simple. It's join, um, uh, people, they, they can join as an individual. Um, I do give minor discounts as far as families as they come. Uh, prices start at $59. So this is really, that's you know, nothing. I, I think it's yeah, especially for, you know, unlimited visits and being able to kind of access the doctor very easily. Um, and kids are really only $20 to add on to a family plan. That's that's amazing. Now, with with this situation, so you do that people don't have to necessarily t- take their kids to a pediatrician because they're children. They can go to you directly and that would um, that would be um the same, correct? Right. So I am trained to see kids as well. Okay. And uh, so do you have an actual office or that patients go to? I do, yes. Do you Skype or do anything where you can talk to the patients, um, you know, remotely? I do, but to be honest, most patients don't like to Skype for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> they'll still reach out by text. They'll be happy to take phone calls, but for whatever reason, they prefer not to Skype. But I do, I do offer that as well. I see. Now, um, so th- with this situation, just like a gym membership, as you mm-hmm. stated, um, if people don't go to the gym, they still get billed. So this is, um, is this something that is paid a month to month basis or is it paid for the whole year for the duration of the pay? Um, so, so in every kind of direct primary care practice, it's kind of different. Everybody kind of sets it up differently. I for see. my practice, I don't have a contract. Um, it's month to month. I see. Um, the, the reason is because I understand that, you know, the, the people move, people's uh, needs change. If things don't work out as far as, you know, they don't um, fit well with me either, uh-huh. I don't, um, you know, and I think the best thing is really if there's a, you know, anything that's um, a relationship that doesn't work, it's best for both parties to kind of move on and find somebody that they can work with. Because my overall goal is to really help people. So if they don't trust me or they don't think I can be the person to help them, there's no point in keeping them in practice. So this is, uh, honestly, I have insurance uh, through my husband's work, uh, right. but um, I uh, I feel that it changes the way you practice. Is brings honesty and sincerity into the relationship of the physician with the patient, which has unfortunately been um, uh, gone down the toilet for many years, and uh, for 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 reasons we won't digress to discuss here uh, are this is this is wonderful because you people have the freedom to really connect with the right doctor and really become a bigger family so to speak are your services um uh flexible spending account or hsa approved uh, based so- on these setup yeah, so currently it's not um, that there is some recent legislation that we're pending. There was actually an executive order that was um, 
I believe uh, the president had signed back in June. We're waiting on some clarification, but that is um, more of an IRS issue. But we're hoping that we'll, um, we'll have some good news about that fairly soon. So I wonder why it wouldn't be obviously um, approved because it's still, it's not like people are going on vacation and paying a membership. They're actually, so I'm wondering what the, what the reason behind the delay is. From, from what I understand, the history of this is that um, if, uh, if we use a membership model, um, some, some people can interpret that as an insurance, which this isn't. I see. I right. see. I see. I see. I, I can see what, what, how that works. Right. Now, with, the, with this membership, uh, this is different than concierge, where people have insurance, the, but they pay extra yearly fee to have easier access to the provider. Is that correct? Yes, that's probably one of the main distinguishing points between a concierge practice and direct primary care. Um, we, by, by not uh, having to deal with insurance at all, our, we are, we're able to kind of lower our overhead by 40 to 60%. And that really allows us to bring the pricing down. Which takes me to the next subject, which is medication. How does it work if an individual comes to you, you make an assessment, and you still uh, recommend medication? How does the medication, uh, how is the medication actually paid for? Is this something that your office provides or the direct primary care um, doctor provides, or do they still have to go to the local pharmacy to purchase? So, so before I answer that question, let me tell you the best thing about the way I'm able to practice now is I'm able mm -hmm. to prescribe a lot less medications. Which is fantastic. That's the whole opioid um, um, epidemics. Right. I, I hope that whoever listens to this podcast is aware of and how medicated and addicted we the society has right. become. And the main reason that, that that's the case is because I can spend a lot of time with my patients and explain to them why they may not need that medication. Um, for instance, you know, um, for regular colds, you don't need a ZPAC. Um, now, what my patients are able to do when they tell me that they have symptoms of a cold, I can follow with them basically every day. Anything changes, it gets worse, it becomes a bacterial infection, we can definitely prescribe it. But because I'm able to follow my patients so closely, oftentimes we don't need it because they see that this is a typical cold after a fact. I see, I see. So, um, so med back, back to the medication. So as far as medications, I, could, I can send it to the pharmacy. I, for some of my patients that are on more chronic type medications, I can order those at a really significant discount price. And from where? From, from wholesalers, essentially. So there is a wholesale centers for medications? Right. And in California, doctors are able to dispense medications. So I can order it for my patients and dispense it to them. And oftentimes that can be a huge savings. Um, so that, does that mean that um, different pharmacies or um, HMOs with pharmacies, they get these medications 
uh, potentially from a wholesale location at a super discounted price and jack it up by probably 200 times. They have to because they have that overhead and staff and all the management layers to sell it to you. Oh my gosh. I had no idea that was happening. So what's a, what's a just, just for the sake of uh, clarification, mm-hmm. what kind of a price difference are we looking at? Let's say it's just the, um, it's a bacterial infection and you need to prescribe um, just a generic, um, you know, basic antibiotics. Right. So for a CPAC, that's usually under $2 for, for, for this treatment course, which is six tablets. So um, what is, I don't know how much ZPAC is really about uh, so, if it's not done that way. So, you know, if you're paying over the counter and stuff like that, they're easy over, you know, $20, $30 probably. Um, oh my gosh. Course of amoxicillin is probably $1.50 or maybe $2. Um, metformin for three months is probably about 4 or $5. That is crazy. So is this, so you... Um, you purchase these things, you have a stock of them in your office and just for, you know, like general medication, you give the patient that and they pay you for it. Or do you, do you, so you just pay it to patients or you sell it to patients at your price? Right. So is there, so for certain medications I do order and have on stock um, and I do, um, you know, get pass on the discounts for them. That is amazing. That's crazy amazing. So, so, you know, direct primary care is really about price transparency. So if you ever go on anybody's website, you usually should be able to see how much their membership fees are. Any additional costs there there may be, they'll usually publish that. Um, Before I um, uh, charge my patients anything, I usually will give them an estimate. So if they're getting discounted laboratories through me, I usually will give them an idea how much that will cost before we do the tests. If I'm dispensing medications, obviously they'll know the pricing at that point. Um, if I refer them to um, x-rays, um, ultrasounds, um, CTs, MRIs, and stuff like that, they will usually know the pricing they're paying if they're paying a cash price for those. So for laboratories, do you utilize the um, standard laboratories available to um, people with insurance companies or are there specific uh, laboratories you send patients to? No, I use the the major ones and I do have smaller ones I work with as well as far as more um, of the functional medicine laboratories that have access to those as well. I see. The difference between uh, um, a, a typical insurance-based doctor is they're not negotiating the best prices if you decided you want to pay cash for them. Whereas most of us direct primary care doctors, we are, we, 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 as much as possible, want to pass on those discounts to our patients. So usually you're looking at paying 10 times less for blood work when you pay cash than if you were to go directly to the laboratory to get them yourself. Do you have individuals that actually, the phlebotomists, the individuals that draw blood at your office, are they, they, and then you, do you have that as an option where you send the blood out to those labs so everything's done in your office or they still have to go to a lab for the whole nine yards? Uh, both, but currently I'm the phlebotomist. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually prefer to send them to the, to the laboratories, but if we need to, I definitely will do it. Okay. Okay. So, um, as far as the X-rays or special studies, mm-hmm. uh, once again, you have negotiated prices pricing with uh, 
the local imaging centers and when you send people there, I assume you have the prescription pad from those locations mm-hmm. that you mark and they know that there's a special pricing involved right. there, right? That's, that's correct, yes. And uh, do uh, direct primary care physicians accept credit cards or is it check and cash? Uh, again, every practice is different. Mine does accept credit cards um, as well as you know, bank debits and direct bank charges and whatnot. I see. And what's your average... Uh, office visit time? So for my new patients, I always try to block off two hours. Oh my goodness. Wow. And, um, okay. I would say I average probably about an hour and a half with my new patients, but I usually will block off that period of time you know, in case there is more that we need to cover. Um, for follow-ups, it really depends. If it's something quick that I know it's about, usually about half hour block off, but usually I block off one hour, you know, period, follow, uh, one hour blocks for follow-ups. My gosh, so two hours. I mean, I thought my office, my initial exam time was was um, long. So two hours, I mean, it sounds, my gosh, I'm going to make an appointment. <laughs> you know what? You know what the truth is? Most most people, when you go to see a doctor, you're spending that much time. Whether you're filling driving out forms. Office, filling out forms, waiting in the waiting room, going in to wait in the exam room. And then when you go and go to the, the pharmacy, all of that usually takes about an hour and a half to two hours. That's the average length that I've, you know, I've seen published. When patients come in and see me, they really walk in the door, sit down, we get to work. There is no paperwork. There's no filling out stuff or, you know, nurses and, and all this other stuff and waiting. Really, it's all just about coming in and, and, and uh, discussing their health needs at that time. So do people fill out the paperwork ahead of time? That's why there's no paperwork or you just don't? Generally, it's a new patient. I sit down with them and go through the medical history. I see. Oh my gosh, I I love you. I <laughs> honestly, I I honestly, it it excites me to hear the direction that you have chosen, because you know we always talk about organic authenticity, et cetera, et cetera, and I feel that the society is thirsty for. Um, caring attention and that's that seems to be what your practice is all about I'm sure you're at a much better place as a physician as a um, as an individual within the society and a human being because you're doing the honest practice oh my gosh that's that's for sure I mean definitely being able to practice in this type of model it um you know, I have to kind of practice what I preach. So if I'm trying to get my patients to be healthier, and that means I have to kind of look at my own life and do all those things that would make me happier, more fulfilled. And all of us actually as doctors and healers, we go in this because we care about people. And we want to get people to you know, be better. It's sometimes that there's a lot of roadblocks that are institutional that prevents people from doing that. And I'm just really happy that I've kind of found a way to, to kind of get into a place that you know, works for all. Absolutely. Now, with direct primary care, um, is this only in California or throughout United States? It's throughout the country, and actually, I think in California we're trailing behind. Um, oh, in, in other states, they're actually a bit more far ahead. In what way? Well, there's a lot more 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 doctors that have opened up clinics. I see. Um, do you think that cost of living has played a role as to why California is more expensive? How about how how many of them do we have in New York? <laughs> uh, in, in the New York City, I think maybe two. One, two. One or two in New York City, I believe. The last time I checked. 
I see. I see. Now, there's, do you? I'm I was sorry. Say there's still only just a handful of us here in you know the L.A. Orange County area. Yeah, I probably know three. <laughs> so, um, now you mentioned something about functional medicine lab. Do you also do functional medicine? Uh, I, I would describe myself as coming more from an integrative medicine background and I use kind of the, the, the traditional Chinese medicine as, uh, more from that, that, that I know about. Um, I understand, um, functional medicine. There's a lot uh-huh. of overlap with, you know, integrative medica- medicine and whatnot. Um, I see. um, I, I don't use it all the time. It really kind of depends on, um, what patients and kind of what their needs and their health needs, um, but uh, I, I do have access to, like I said, all the testing and, you know, the treatment protocols and stuff as well. I see. So with your, since you do both primary care uh, family, um, and acupuncture, is there a separate membership if an individual wants to have acupuncture as part of, like, could they could they come in for uh, several sessions of acupuncture? Uh, sessions with you based on the membership fee of uh, that they paid per month or uh, that's separate so it's it's actually included i include 10 sessions with the membership um 10 sessions a, a month or a year in total so I see. for the life of the membership um but then i I, see. That, I charge you know 20 dollars a session i see i see and how long are the acupuncture sessions uh, it ranges, but usually about 20 minutes to 30 minutes. I see. Um, this is this is unbelievable. Now, how about uh, businesses? Could businesses purchase membership for their employees? Uh, yes. Actually, um, that's something that I think a lot of businesses actually would benefit as well, especially smaller ones that can't afford to um, provide insurance for their their um their um, employees and, and and what I think we didn't really touch about or talk about directly was that you know there's a difference between health care and health insurance. Yes, health insurance should be paying for kind of the more catastrophic type of um, yes, needs. but that doesn't always mean even if you have health insurance that doesn't always mean you're getting good care or even good access to care. Yes, for sure. So, so for for um, for cases where an individual chooses to uh, sign up for a membership with you as a dry, uh, direct primary care physician and wants to purchase, let's say, catastrophic insurance in case they end up in a hospital. I'm sure over the course of the year with the different premiums, there is a substantial amount of savings. But do you know if there there is such thing as hospital-only coverage for insurance um, plans? Do you know anything about that portion? Well, if you look at the really high deductible plans, that's essentially, you know, hospital yeah. catastrophic care. Um there's, you know, definitely um, um, an increase in popularity of also medical cost-sharing plans. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that can be a good option for many people as well. Um, can you explore that a little bit? Do you, uh, do you feel comfortable exploring that a little bit? Yes, I do. Um, so, you know, traditionally they were based around um, religious organizations. Um, when the the ACA, the Obamacare, was established. They allowed um, certain, you know, uh, 
religious organizations to kind of group themselves together and provide um, cost-sharing services for their own members. Um, the, the equivalent I, I, I explained to people is instead of going to a bank, you use like a federal credit union. It'd be kind of the same uh -huh. idea um, uh, uh, in, in that sense. Um, but since, um, you know, the, the more recent changes a few years ago that where we no longer have a tax penalty for not having insurance, um, other um, commercial groups have been able to kind of come in and kind of do provide the same type of uh, service as well. So they group together individuals and provide, um, you know, um, a shared amount of money that would be paid towards healthcare costs, but they're not arranged as an insurance essentially because they don't have any contracts with providers or hospitals or whatever it may be. So where would people have access to this? Just Google it? Googling or reach out to me. I, I, okay. There's a great um, comparison chart out there floating around that I'd be happy to share as well. Um, about all the different ones we know about currently. Do you have any newsletters that people can sign up for and receive information that are pertinent to how to better their health and what's out there on the political aspect of this, what I consider to be a movement by physicians, uh, disgusted at the system <laughs> physicians? <laughs> currently, I don't. I do send my a newsletter to, to my own practice patients, but nothing that's, you know, open up to, to be on my, outside of my practice at the moment. Absolutely. That makes total sense. Now, as far as the going back to employees and the reason this is a very selfish question I have, because I'd like to provide that for my staff. And I want to know, for example, if a small business like as myself with my practice, with all my employees um, that I have, um, could I get a um, like a business package? Is there such thing, or is it e essentially based on um, um, okay? Let's say there are ten employees, ten memberships times families. You know that type of situation. Is it pretty much just a simple math, or is there packages that are available for employers, or what? Uh, so I, I'm a pretty simple person. I design my practice to be very simple as well. <laughs> okay. So so essentially, it's the same pricing with a bit of a discount, and it's all set up in the background through my the, the billing system that I use. I see. Uh, so, so it, uh, yeah, you know, it could be a, as many members and stuff. It just, uh, you know, the every employer is kind of a little bit different in how they want to fund it, and that's where sure. it, you know, that may be a little bit different. But as far as pricing, it's pretty much a bit of a discount on what my regular pricing is. So then the next question is, are you aware if, uh, let's say, if I were to uh, pay for those um, employees of mine, um, is this something that, you know, if it's tax deductible or write, can I write that off? I know you're not an accountant, but I thought maybe you have looked into that um, to see if that's a business expense, considered business expense or not. I, I am not an accountant, but I, I believe you can use it as a I believe expense, so. But yeah. that's something that, you know, that would have to be clarified because everybody's kind of structured differently as well. So I don't want to, you know. Yeah, that makes total sense. Right. Well, you seem to have answers to so many other questions that I have. <laughs> I thought, hey, let's ask Dr. Sai. <laughs> Um, I thank you so very much, Dr. Sai, for sharing this valuable information, for having really focused on the important things in life and being a, I just, um, I met you in person 
and I, uh, my hats off to you. You, you, you are a uh, wonderful human being for doing what you're doing, and you and your fellow uh, medical doctors who are uh, doing the same thing. I think enough is enough. And as society, we need to take uh, control of how we allow things to happen to us. And I'm, I'm just, I just love you, man. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of speak with you and tell, you know, more about, you know, direct primary care. Uh, Absolutely. I'm hoping this will be kind of a, you know, a, a start of something big so that we can kind of spread this, you know, across the country even more so. Absolutely. Now, if people were to try to reach you, how could they find you? Um, the easiest way is just to Google direct primary care. If you're in the lo local Orange County area, I'll definitely show up there. But my website is portola.care. Um, and, uh, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, it's Portola DPC. For direct, direct primary care. I will make sure that I have uh, Dr. Sai's information in the show notes for those of you who want to access it. Once again, I thank you so much for uh, giving us a few minutes of your time uh, and exploring direct primary care. And I look forward to uh, uh, doing more interviews with you with hopefully better and more um, better news about the spreading of direct primary care practices throughout the country. That would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you again for this time. Thank you for those listeners. Uh, uh, thank you for listening. Do know that we're all making a change for better and take control of your own life because you are the director and the designer of your own life and you are the only one who can direct and design it the way you wish to live it. If you have any questions, any comments, any suggestions, please email me at drs, like doctorspodcastshow at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast and do know that there are plenty of us out there that care and hang in there. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib. And this is your host, Mamak Shakib. In this interview with Danny Sasania, who has Masters of Public Health, and he works for California LGBTQ Health and Human Services Network. You will learn some of the new terminologies that exist. He introduced himself as a he, him, and his, which is the pronouns that we hear. We discuss these pronouns, the new terminology, what they mean, how the old derogatory terms are no longer derogatory necessarily, and how we may be using terms that are obsolete or are on the way to become obsolete. You'll learn about the challenges that the LGBTQ community has, which are beyond belief. I was fuming when I heard about it. It made me so, so upset, and I hope it does that to you too. Danny is absolutely, in my opinion, a hero. I know the term is used very casually 
these days, but to me he's a hero because he puts himself at the forefront of uh, a movement, a movement to bring equality among us all regardless of how we are. At any rate, I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'll make sure I put all the different resources that we discuss in the show notes. If you have any questions, please direct them via email to drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And I hope, I absolutely hope that you will share this with your loved ones, your friends and family. You subscribe to the show because the purpose of this show is to talk about the things that actually matter. It matters to us individually, to us as a society, to us as species. Thank you for listening. And with no further ado, here is my interview with Danny Sesenia.